Let's give the Lord praise right now. Can we clap our hands and praise him? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. <clears throat> praise God, praise God. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated today. It's so good to be here in this great church, this beautiful building, and um, great uh, assembly today, and wonderful leadership that you have. God has blessed you uh, with here today. I feel so uh, blessed to be here with you and um, just enjoyed the worship, enjoyed uh, praising God together. It is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing to be in the house of God, to be able to give him worship and praise for all that he has done in our lives. Hasn't God been good to you? Isn't he worthy of the highest praise? And all the glory and the honor, amen. It's my honor uh, to be here with you today and um, just um, enjoying the goodness of the Lord and the blessings of the Lord. And uh, I'm glad that I still have the Holy Ghost today. I'm glad that God uh, has filled me with his spirit. I am so glad that I have been baptized in the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm so glad that I've been baptized in his name, had the privilege to repent of my sins, and I know that there is only one God, and Jesus is his name. I'm so glad I know it. Amen. And I don't ever want to take it for granted today. I've enjoyed the last uh, few days. It's always a treat anytime uh, I am allowed to be with uh, Elder Booker and uh, Pastor Joel Booker. It's always my treat. I'm much enriched uh, by uh, the fellowship, and uh, I was especially blessed to be able to uh, ride to Bakersfield uh, over the weekend uh, with, uh, with the Elder. And uh, there and back was just a, a special time for me. And I, I feel like that uh, when it was over, I was, I was somewhat wiser for the conversation and the influence. I feel like I was, I was made wiser and better. But I know when I got back that I was prayed up. I think the conversation had a good influence, but I know the driving definitely had an influence on my prayer life. And so, uh, seems like some of you know that by experience. Praise God. Amen. I, when he was talking about being overbooked and trying to modify the bus, I got a visual in my mind of the good doctor that got drug off of United Airlines. Uh, so, anyway, that uh, pray for me. It just came to my mind. Anyway, uh, that's not how things operate around here. But I have been places where that's the way it operated. So, uh, you don't want it to be overbooked. Praise God. It's so good to be here. And we give honor to the leadership. Uh, Elder and Sister Booker and, and uh, Brother Joel Booker, his wife. So, such wonderful people. You are so blessed, aren't you? And I know that you know that and understand that and realize that. Praise God. I want to read today from the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter uh, number 20. 1 Kings chapter number 20 is where I would like to begin and uh, to all of uh, our guest today, that you are here at an apostolic Pentecostal church. So glad you are here. And uh, we, uh, I can tell you that uh, you can receive an experience with God in this place today like you have never had before. 
And God can begin something in your life that will transform you and make you forever different and to do it for the better. Praise God just for you. I'd like to see someone receive. Amen. The gift of the Holy Ghost. Leave here baptized in the Spirit of God before this service is over today. First Kings chapter number 20. And I'll be reading at verse number 35. I will uh, read through, I believe, verse number 41. First Kings chapter 20, verse 35 says, And a certain man of the sons of the prophet said unto his neighbor, In the word of the Lord, smite me, I pray thee. And the man refused to smite him. Then said he unto him, Because thou hast not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as thou art departed from me, a lion shall slay thee. And as soon as he was departed from him, a lion found him and slew him. Then he found another man and said, Smite me, I pray thee. And the man smote him, so that in smiting he wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way, and disguised himself with ashes upon his face. And as the king passed by, he cried unto the king, and he said, Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle, And behold, a man turned aside and brought a man unto me and said, Keep this man. If by any means he be missing, then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. And as thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. The king of Israel said unto him, So shall Thy judgment be, thyself hast decided it. And he hasted and took the ashes away from his face, and the king of Israel discerned him that he was of the prophets. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand, a man whom I had appointed to utter destruction. Therefore, thy life shall go for his life and thy people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house heavy and displeased and came to Samaria. I want to focus today, verse number 37 The man made a strange request, said, Smite me, I pray thee. And the Bible says the man smote him so that in smiting he wounded him. And I would simply like to preach for a little bit today the message of the wounded prophet. The message of the wounded prophet. Prophet. Can we ask the Lord to help us today, to bless us by his word? Lord, we appreciate you. God, we thank you. Thank you for the blessing that we feel, the blessing of your presence. Thank you for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl gathered in this place today. Let our time together be productive, Lord. Let me speak only the words that you would have me to speak. Let them be beneficial, Lord. Let them be anointed from on high. God, speak to us today. Hide me behind the cross. And we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, all the worship. It all belongs to you in Jesus' name. And can we clap our hands and praise the Lord one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. You may be seated. God bless you today. I do not want you to draw any conclusions from uh, maybe my title or even 
the context of this of this passage. I I bring to you a message of hope. I bring to you uh, a positive message, a message of faith today. And so, uh, please do not run ahead of me and uh, and 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 feel like that this message will be one of of chastisement or rebuke. It's not that at all. I want to talk to us uh, about, I would say, most of us, most of us here today. Uh, I believe I would be right in saying most of us have asked, God, would you use me for your kingdom and your work? At some time in our lives, we have prayed that God would put his hand on our lives and that God would show us what it is that he wants us to do. And uh, we have wondered how we could be most effective in the kingdom of God. And sometimes we begin to believe that uh, it, uh, it, it requires us to be powerful individuals ourselves if we are to be used of God. Or we believe that it is necessary that we are important, that God only uses the VIPs of the world uh, to further his kingdom and his work. And uh, we believe that it's the important or the wealthy or the accomplished. That is who God has his eye on and that is who ultimately, that humanity will pay attention to. And often we take ourselves out of the equation when it comes to becoming effective and being successful in the realm of God's kingdom. And uh, we often discount whatever that we can give or what we have to offer. But I want to tell you the Word of God tells us something different about those who are used by God. That the word of God does not tell us you have to be wealthy enough, you have to be powerful enough, that you have to be uh, impressive enough that God would somehow finally deign to use you. And can I remind you today that uh, you can find all the way that through the word of God that there is a principle that God can use the most unlikely people, that God can use the most unlikely situations to get his work done and to make progress in his kingdom. Can I remind you today that God handpicked an ignored and a forgotten about shepherd boy to confront and defeat a fearsome Philistine champion and to get the victory for Israel over the Philistines. Can I remind you today that God, the God of Israel, he preserved the life of a harlot in Jericho, and he rescued her family from destruction when the city fell. Amen. And God used her in his kingdom. Can I remind you that the eye of God was on a widow in Zarephath, who had resigned herself to make one more meal. Amen. And then that she and her son would die afterwards. And yet it was her and what she had to offer that preserved the life of God's prophet in the midst of a terrible famine. Amen. Can I remind you that God had a future for a young Moabitish damsel who had lost her husband and had chose to journey with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to a place called Bethlehem, Judah. And God had a place for her among his people. Amen. And God had a future for her. And God even put her in the lineage of a king named David and made her an ancestor to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Can I tell somebody here, in spite of the blows that life has dealt you, and in spite of you maybe seeing you are the most unlikely that God would ever use, can I tell you that God has a place for you, that God has a spot just for you, 
regardless of your background, regardless of your family, regardless of your past, regardless of you feeling unworthy today that God has a place for you. If God had a spot for them, God has a place for you. Why don't we lift our hands and thank God for it? Why don't you tell God, God, I'm thankful you have a seat for me in your kingdom today. Amen. God can use unlikely people and God can use unlikely situations. I am reminded of what Paul wrote when he said that God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and that God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God uses tools. God uses equipment. God uses weapons. But when God gets finished... It's not the saw or the hammer that gets the glory for the building. When God gets finished, it's not the sword or the shield that gets elevated and gets praised for the victory in the battle. But it's God who used the tools and it's God that used the weapon in his hand. And I encourage somebody, put yourself in God's hand. That's your responsibility And let God use you. That's his responsibility for how he works you according to his plan and his kingdom. I must admit to you that that this story that I have read to you, that it has often made me uncomfortable to read uh, this little passage in my Bible readings and in my Bible study, I'm ashamed to say that very often I would uh, quickly rush past these verses and, and I would quickly uh, dismiss some of the details and, and I would skip over them because I did not quite understand what was going on. You know, there, there is a lesson to learn about God and his ways, very often there's a lesson in, in what we initially do not understand. Amen. It was difficult for me to uh, get a handle on this character who is called one of the sons of the prophets here. It was difficult to, uh, to understand here uh, some of the strange behavior that that he uh, exhibits, and we are we are introduced to him, just simply instructing one of his cohorts here to smite him. Now, I, I don't understand that. Now, uh, my dad was very proficient with a belt or a switch, but I never. I know there were times he said, "You asked for it," but I don't remember ever asking for it. I tried to talk him out of it, but I never asked for it. And uh, so this man, uh, he, he refuses. He said, uh, smite me, I pray thee. The man refused. And so I, I do understand that. But then I don't understand the rebuke that was given by this uh, certain man who was of the sons of the prophets. He said, because you have not... Uh, obeyed because you have not responded the way you should have. You have not obeyed the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, he said. Uh, Then a lion is going to slay thee. And that is exactly what happened. It's exactly what took place. Now, now, now this, this, this brings me to my my first point today, something I want to emphasize to you. And the first thing in this message that I want to really emphasize is there is no excuse for disobedience. 
I know a lot of people that are on their way to hell today and they feel like they've got a good excuse. I know a lot of people that didn't get up and go to church today and they feel like they've got a good reason for not being in the house of God. I know a lot of people who have no respect for the ministry and they feel like they've got a good excuse for hating preachers and, and for, for uh, finding fault with the church. But I want to tell you today, there is no excuse for disobedience to the Word of God. The Bible said that uh, this sons of the prophet, one of these sons of the prophets, he found another man. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't live for God, there'll be somebody that will. And if you don't appreciate your seat in the church, amen, there'll be somebody, God will put them there, and they'll be so happy to be in that place. Amen. If you don't love what God has given you, God will turn and give it. to. If you don't take advantage of your opportunity, God will give that same opportunity. Amen. It may be a drunk. It may be a drug addict. But God will give them that place. And they'll be so excited to be included in God's kingdom. Amen. He found another man. Amen. And he said, smite me, I pray thee. And the man smote him so that in smiting He wounded him. Maybe he found the story about the lion. I don't know. Uh, Maybe he knew what had happened. But but, uh, evidently, evidently this was the purpose for the strange command that was made. In smiting, he wounded him. Everybody say, he wounded him. Man, he wounded him. I want you to get the picture here today that that the result of this command was that the man was visibly noticeably wounded and so the prophet departed the bible says and waited for the king by the way the man had a message for king ahab the leader of israel The man had a message from God, but he had to be wounded first before he ever felt adequately prepared to present his message to the king. He's waiting for the king, by the way. Now he's ready. Now he's fully prepared. Something about this scenario has has, has gotten him positioned. It has gotten him uh, a- adequately and thoroughly prepared to uh, present his message, his confrontation with the king. He has, he has all the confidence in the world now that, that he will be noticed. And not only noticed, but he will have the ear of the king when that time presents itself. I want to point out today what so many of us resent. And the very thing that so many of us complain about today. The very thing that that, uh, very often many of us we point to as the reason that we are not where we need to be. And that uh, we are not the person we ought to be. The very thing that we talk about that it is holding us back. The wounds of life. The wounds that we receive in the work of God. The wounds that we receive along the journey. This is the very thing that this man invited into his life. Oh, y'all are quiet today. It's very strange to me that these are the things I avoid. These are the things that I do not like to happen. But this man with a message for Ahab, he openly welcomed it, amen, into his life. I often hear as a pastor, I've been pastoring 21 years. I know I look 21. I've already been told that today. But I very often hear as a pastor, pastor, you don't understand what happened in my childhood. You don't understand the hurt that I've suffered. You don't understand the scars that I carry. 
You don't understand uh, how I have been treated. You don't understand because of what has happened to me, I will never trust anybody. You, you don't understand. You can't give me any responsibility. You don't understand. Yet don't expect very much out of me because I have suffered like you don't realize. And, and you, what you don't realize, I have a valid excuse for not winning souls. I have a valid excuse for not being the wife that I need to be. I have a valid excuse for not being the family man that I should be. I have a valid excuse for never living up to my potential. I have a a valid excuse instead of confronting the Ahabs of this world. I run from the Ahabs of this world. Instead of speaking up, I am silent when I should say something. I, I just follow along with the ungodly influences. I just go along with the Ahabs and the Jezebels and I just float along with it because of the trauma, because of the uninvited things and the hurt and the suffering that I have experienced. Give me a break. I'll never really do the will of God because of the wounds. I've been hurt And I'll never really be adequately prepared. And this man said, now I'm hurt. And now I've been wounded. And so now I'm ready to do what God has called me to do. I've got some scars. Now I can be effective. Now my voice can be heard. Because I carry proof of experience. Now Ahab will stop. And he did. He's the king, but he stopped when he saw the wounds. He's a ruler. He's a leader. But he listened. Many many folks, they, they thought it would be intelligent words. They thought it would be IQ. They thought it would be education. But I'm going to tell you who Ahab listened to. It was not the man with the highest IQ. It was not the man who was the most eloquent. Who Ahab listened to was the man that had been wounded. The man that completely changed the demeanor and the attitude and the disposition of Ahab was the man that had been wounded. Amen. Wounds, scars simply mean that I've got battlefield experience. I know what it is to hurt and keep going. I I know what it is to, to make sure that pain has not debilitated me and incapacitated me learning how to fight the enemy and take the blows of life hallelujah anybody ever had some wounds anybody ever been hurt Ronald Reagan had a speech writer her name was Peggy Noonan she's very eloquent she's very uh, articulate. She still, I believe, writes columns for maybe New York Times, Wall Street Journal. She wrote a column several years ago about uh, the Black Hawk Down story and how that uh, several of our uh, members of our military were killed in an ambush in Mogadishu, Somalia, back in 1993. And in her article she said she 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 described the setting that that there in Somalia there was a small convoy of of Humvees and they were trying to make their way uh, back to the base safely and they were under uh, heavy gunfire they were under heavy rocket fire and and finally the colonel in charge he stopped the convoy and and he had to he had to uh, take in some wounded and get them situated. He had, to, he had to pull one of the dead drivers out that had been shot and, and uh, pulled him out of the driver's seat. And he barked to a bleeding sergeant who was standing nearby. And he was standing there in shock at his own wounds. And the colonel turned to the young sergeant and said, Get in the truck and drive. 
The sergeant was, 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 uh, he, he, he was surprised and he looked back at, at the colonel. He said, but I'm shot, colonel. And the colonel said, everybody's been shot. Get in and drive. And sometimes we look at the demands God makes. I really can't live for you, God. I've been shot. I really can't worship and praise. I've been shot. I can't teach a Sunday school class. I, me, I'll never be a preacher. I'll never be a leader. I've been shot. Can I tell you today, you need to throw away your excuses. Everybody's, everybody's been shot. Everybody knows what it is to bleed. Everybody knows what it is to hurt. Get in and drive. Everybody's been shot. Get in the church and give it all you got. Get back in the prayer room. Get back up and worship God. Everybody's been hurt. Hallelujah. Sometimes we're convinced we're the only ones that have been done wrong. We're the only ones that we that, that feel this way. We're the only ones that have been picked on. We're the only ones bleeding and hurt. Amen. For some, it's a family member. Some, uh, somebody else, a husband or a wife. Others, it's children or it's grandchildren. For some, uh, they've been hurt by fellow saints. And some, it's a former pastor. And some, amen, it was a, maybe a visiting preacher. Maybe it's, uh, we could, we could share war stories. But I'm going to tell you one thing. We have all been wounded. Can I tell you the loss of blood is no excuse? Can I tell you the pain and suffering is no excuse can I tell you even hit by friendly fire it is no excuse I'm not here to minimize it I'm not trying to dismiss it I'm not trying to convince you you've never been hurt I'm not telling you you can even ignore it but I am saying you can move on I am saying you can get beyond it you may never get over it but you can get through it amen you can move on there is more from God there are more blessings There are more good things. Amen. Joseph said, uh, brothers, you meant it for evil, but God had his hand on me all the way through it. God meant it for my good. Hallelujah. Amen. Why don't we quit wasting time wishing if only. If only mom and dad had been there. If only the divorce had not happened. If only I had not been diagnosed or my loved one had not been diagnosed with this disease. Uh, if, If only that person had not left me when I needed them. I want to tell you we have all had it happen to us in some fashion or another. I want to tell you the second thing, and I'm moving quickly. Uh, The second thing is that your wounds carry a message. Your wounds preach something about you. Your wounds make statements about your life. And they can either, either, either be positive or they can be negative. You don't get to choose your scars. You don't get to choose your pain. You don't get to pick out your diagnosis. You don't often get to pick the path of life. But you do get to choose your response. You do get to choose your explanation of your scars. So this is why I became an alcoholic. Or you can say this is why... I made up my mind I'm going to whip that devil. If it takes me all my life, the rest of my life, I'm going to whip it. It will not overcome me. I'm going to get the victory, whatever it takes. Your scars preach a message to you and to the world around you. While there's much in the Bible about the character David... Very much about his exploits, much about his songs, much about his relationships with other, other notable individuals around him. 
We know very little about someone in his life, his sister. Her name was Zeruiah. Zeruiah, we don't know her personality. We don't know what type of individual she was. We don't know uh, a, a lot about the details of her life. We just know, we just know she was a sister to a great man. While there is so much about him, there is so little about her that just about the extent of the information we have for her is that her name means my wounds. Some scholars believe that since she carried the name my wounds that, that it, perhaps she was disfigured. That, that possibly she carried very noticeable scars of something trauma that had happened in her life. That visibly something made a statement to everyone that knew her. I've had some tough times. I've I've been scarred. I've been hit by life. It's very, very common for someone to carry a name that that broadcast their characteristics, their, their attributes. And, and so it, it is believed by some that, that whatever happened, it was displayed prominently in her life. And although this is about all we know about her, her name means my wounds, we do know something about her son's. And we do know that she had a son named Joab. And his name was, whose father is Jehovah. And we know that she had another son. And his name was Abishai. And his name was father of a gift. And we know that she had another son by the name of Azahel. And his name was made by God. It stands out to me somebody whose entire identity was described by her wounds and yet her offspring broadcasted something positive instead of something negative. There were other mothers that in the midst of a bad experience they named their child by their bad experience. There were other mothers that said, it's so terrible. This child will be named Benoni, the son of my sorrows. And somebody else had to step up and say, no, 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 no. We don't name them. We don't, we don't let our offspring amen, be labeled the rest of their lives by a bad experience. He's not going to be called Benoni. He's going to be called Benjamin, the son of my right hand. There were other mothers that in the midst of, of, a, of a battle that was being lost, they named the child. Ichabod, meaning no glory. Glory is departed. I don't know what kind of wounds that Zeruiah suffered, but my wounds produced statements that said, whose father is Jehovah? God is still producing good things in my life. And this guy's going to go on to be the captain of the host for all of the army of Israel. He's not going to be confined to one bad event, to one traumatic thing that happened in life. Amen. He's going, she's going to have a son who is the fastest, the fleetest of foot. He ran like a deer through the woods. If there had been uh, Olympics in Israel, Azahel would have won them. When it was time to chase down a fugitive, he could chase them down. He was the fastest. He was the best in his field, but he was the son of my wounds. There's a, the other boy, uh, 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 Abishai, and Abishai, I love Abishai because to me, the main characteristic about Abishai, he, he never was general, he never was the fastest runner, but he was loyal. Even before David was king, he said, David, uh, let me go get it, Saul. This day God has put him in your hand. I'll kill him and you'll be king and God will fulfill his promises. Abishai's loyal. 
And not just in the beginning, but when, when David is old and there's a giant, a relative of Goliath that sought to destroy David. Abishai, he had to have some years on him too. He had, to, he, had to, he had to have a few battle scars on him too. But he stepped forward and he vanquished that giant. Lest the light of Israel be quenched. Oh, even in his old age, all he had seen, all he had experienced, all he had been through, and he was still loyal. Still, he is the son of my wounds. Let me tell you, she's going to testify one day. This is what my wounds produced. My wounds can produce a general in the army. My wounds can produce someone who is the best in their field. My wounds can produce loyalty. I want to ask you today, what have your wounds produced? If you're not careful, your wounds will produce bitterness. Your wounds will produce rebellion. Your wounds will produce excuses. Your wounds will produce ill will and resentment. And Jesus didn't build a church till he had bled. Jesus didn't build a church till he had been to Calvary. But he took his wounds and he built the greatest thing that the world has ever known. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes... We are healed. Your wounds preach a message. They, they make a statement and you choose the explanation behind the scars that you carry today. Hallelujah. One shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Jesus took his wounds and made new life available and healing available. I ask you today, what will you do with your wounds? If you'll have the right mentality about it. You can produce a general. If you'll have the right mentality about it, you'll produce loyalty like nobody's ever seen. Can I tell you there are benefits? My third thing, and I'm winding down here today. The third thing I want to emphasize to you is there are benefits. There are benefits to having wounds. I would declare that your wounds will have more impact than your talent. Your wounds will have more impact than your intelligence. I would say that your wounds will have more impact than your ability. Paul had it all. He had the, he had the intelligence. He had the talent. He had, he had the ability in spades. And yet God saw fit to give him some discomfort and some pain and some infirmity. And oh, I know we would rather, we would shout more about the breathtaking visions he had in the third heaven and the visitation that he made to, to, to paradise and the unspeakable words and the mysteries he heard that were not lawful to, to utter. And yet he did not glory in any of that. That was not what he gloried in. But he said, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. And I know exactly why it's there. It's where I'll never get exalted. It's where I'll never get the big head. God not only allowed heaven to whisper in my ear, but he also allowed a message from Satan to 
pound away at my mind, blow after blow. That's what being buffeted means. That visit to heaven, it seems like it was a one-time thing. But whatever that messenger from Satan was, it was day after day. It was blow after blow raining down punches on his mind and he said the pain got so unbearable it, it got it, it got so terrible in my life that I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me hallelujah do you know what that response was that he received it was not a visit from a prophet said surely God has seen thy affliction and it shall be removed from thee shortly Wouldn't that be comforting? He wasn't called out during a service and told, you know, you've been really suffering. You've been under a lot of pressure. And when I lay my hands on you, it's going to leave and never come back anymore. That's the response a lot of times we hope for. And it didn't happen for Paul. The response he got was, my grace is sufficient for thee. In other words, I'm everything you need to get you through what you're going through. I'm everything. What I give you out of my grace is everything you need. That when you don't get a momentary relief, when you don't get exactly what you hoped for, asked for, prayed for, I will be everything you need. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Can I tell you that there is power in sufficient grace? We think that there's power in the miraculous and in the the miracle that happens on a Sunday night. But can I tell you, there's just as much power in sufficient grace to make you what God wants you to be in spite of the wounds that you carry. My wounds have taught me to lean on him. My wounds have pushed me into a prayer life. My wounds have taught me not to lean on my weak and my limited flesh. My wounds have trained me when I have reached the end of my capacity. The grace of God will give me the power that I need today. Hallelujah. I could preach about Jacob being wounded by Esau. It probably would not be too powerful because Jacob gave as much as he received. I know Esau scarred him, threatening to kill him to the place he had to run. But Jacob was just just as devious. I could preach about I could preach about Jacob being wounded by Laban. Uh, Laban was not only his father-in-law, but his employer. And how that Jacob was tricked and given Leah instead of Rachel. And then how that Laban changed his wages ten times with no notice or preparation. And how that must have hurt. How it must have done a number on him. But I want to tell you, not only was he scarred by Esau and by Laban, but the most memorable was a night that he spent with God. And we could talk about all of it, the angel and who it was and what have you. I'm not here to talk about that. Whatever happened that night in the midst of Jacob saying, I will not let you go. That there was a wound that was left. And it was God ordained. It was God inspired. Whether it was the angel. Whether it was a theophany. However that it could be explained. I just want to tell you. It came from God. And it made a lasting impact. Hallelujah. And the Bible said he halted upon his thigh. 
And it impacted the children of Israel thereafter. There was a message that his descendants observed. God can touch you and God can change you and God can make a transformation. But along with that limp that he received that marked him for the rest of his days, there's another side of the coin that in that moment, yes, I understand his flesh was limited, but on the other side, there was a name change that said, you're not going to be the trickster. You're not going to be the con man. You're not going to be the heel grabber anymore, but now you're going to be Israel, a prince that has power with God and with man. God will always give you something God will give you something along with that crippling wound that will more than make up for whatever you lost. Hallelujah. There's a story in the Bible about a man named Abimelech who was a leader in the book of, of Judges and, and some of his subjects rebelled. And Abimelech led his troops to to quell the revolt, and they came to a place called Shechem. There was a tower there. Long story short, a multitude of the people that lived there sought refuge in the tower of Shechem. And Abimelech had a great idea to get the victory that day, and that was to haul some branches and haul some wood up there to the base of that tower and set it on fire. And when... He carried branches near the wall. The Bible said there was a certain woman that dropped a millstone and it hit Abimelech in the head. The Bible said that that she dropped that stone all to break his skull. King James, all to break his skull. And it must have had an impact. The Bible said that he turned to his armor bearer in his condition, been hit in the head, and said, Slay me with the sword that it not be said, that it not be said that this man, that that a woman slew him. Let it not be said. You know, I read that. I've seen some people get hit on the head in my lifetime. And I just look at that and I wonder if he could think clearly enough to know who it was that dropped a millstone on his head. His wound may not have been fatal. If he was still lucid enough to find his armor bearer and recognize him. Oh, I don't want to tell my own experience about getting hit in the head. Actually, I fell off of a roof one time. If you wonder what's wrong with me, I fell on my head. But thankfully, I fell in a bowl of cat food. Instead of concrete. At least I hope it was cat food, come to think about it. But it... For two days, I had tunnel vision. I could not read. I could just look at one letter and try to put the letters together. That was just falling into a bowl of cat food by faith. For two days. It did a number on me. But if you are lucid enough to recognize the man and you're thoughtful enough to put it together and to say, slay me with the sword, to to see the, 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 the whole picture and to reason enough, it's better to be killed with a sword, better legacy. To think about your legacy. Better to be slain with a sword 
than to have a woman drop a millstone on you. There's a chance it wasn't fatal. He was just so afraid of what could be, how it could turn out, the epitaph he could be leaving, that he would rather just be put out of his ministry, uh, ministry misery right now. Sometimes they are one and the same. But to be put out of his misery right now than it, for it to always be remembered that that woman up there on the fourth story dropped a millstone on my head and killed me. Can I tell you today, those of you feel like, I can't, Pastor, I'm going to take myself out of the choir because of what happened I just really can't. I'm not going to teach Sunday school because I just cannot really do my best because of what took place. I, I, I'm going to stay out of church for a while until I can get my mind together and I can find myself because of, of the blow that has been dealt to me. I, I'm going to just pull away and I'm not going to go to the functions and I'm not going to be a part. I'm, I'm going to put a little distance between me and the church and my brothers and sisters because I've been hit so hard and it's so bad and I'm telling you today it is probably not fatal. If you can sit in a dark room and try to figure out what to do with the rest of your life, surely you can find an altar and say, God, forgive me for my attitude. You don't have to die by the sword. It could be you'd wipe the blood off and say, thank God I'm still living and I'll take a chance. I can make it and I'm going to get back in the fight and I'm going to do my best. I don't have to die this way and I don't have to die today. Oh, why don't we stand and praise the Lord and thank him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It doesn't have to be fatal. It doesn't have to drive you from the church. It doesn't have to drive you away from God. It doesn't have to drive you away from your relationships. Hallelujah. Oh, Abimelech just might have lived through it if he hadn't told somebody. To kill him with the sword. Brother J.T. Pugh won my father to the Lord, and I will always be thankful to him. Won him personally. Knocked on his door when my dad was 21. Said, Sherman, we're having revival. I want you to come and be my guest tonight. My dad went. He repented that night. A few nights later, got the Holy Ghost and been living for God ever since. But I heard Brother Pugh tell a story about a church he was acquainted with in his early years. And, and it was in days before most people had vehicles. And there were two families in the church that were very close. And they also lived within close proximity. And after services at night, they would, they would all walk home together. Both of them had several children Sometimes they would hold one another's children on the way home because the, the children had gone to sleep during the service. And, and uh, it was just amazing how close these families were. And one night there was an accusation. A young man from one family, it was uh, alleged that he had uh, molested a girl from the other family. And the the situation spread far beyond the two families. It wasn't long before it brought a vicious division in the church. And then the case was brought to court. And the boy, at uh, court, he was found guilty. And he, and he spent some time in prison. It was some time later he came back. He was finally released from prison. He was determined to make the best of it. He was determined to go back home to face the music. And uh, there was still, upon his return, there was, there was a, a, a great division in that congregation. It was, it was so great. There was such a breach there that, 
that those that sympathized with one side, with one family, they sat on one side of the church and the sympathizer with the, with the, uh, the, the accuser's family, they, they sat on one side and those that sympathized and, and the young man that, that uh, went to prison, his family sat on another side and those that sympathized with them. And the church was just basically split right down the middle. And as those things do, it affected the church. There was no move of God. Every service, there was such tension in the atmosphere. And it went on for years. And yet the boy, he wanted to keep his head up. He was a, he was a nice-looking young fellow. And, and those that knew him, they, they felt like he had a good heart. But, but after coming back and trying to make the most of it, he hit reality head-on. And, and he realized things had not really changed. People were not going to give him a break. They were not going to give him a chance. And it began to affect him. And his spirit was bruised. And, and uh, it wasn't long after that it affected him to such a degree that he became paralyzed from his shoulders downward. His family began to care for him and wait on him. People from the other side said, oh, there's nothing wrong with him. He's just putting on. He's, he's just wanting some sympathy. They were, they were mocking him. And finally, his family built him a little house in the corner of their yard so that he would have a place of his own and just a little taste of independence. One day, a great storm came through, and the storm was so vicious that it, it blew the house away just piled up debris uh, against a fence on, on the, the, the border of the property. And when they, they pulled the boards and the, the siding away, they found this, this boy. He was covered up, totally unable to help himself dig his way out. He was paralyzed. Finally did convince people that when they drug him out from under that lumber, he was still alive and and they, they began to be convinced that, that he couldn't move. One day in that church, there was a, an evangelist that, that came. And they started a, a series of services. And it was tight. It was tense. Just seemed like it was so difficult for anything to break loose. And yet somewhere, after a few nights, God started moving in that little church. The Holy Ghost, people started feeling something that they had not felt in a long time. And there, there began to be a little bit of response. There began to be a tear here and a tear there. And in the midst of that, one of the mothers walked across the aisle and reached out, put her hands out to that other mother and embraced her and the other mother reached out and she reached forward and the one mother and Brother Pugh as he told this he didn't remember which side it was it really didn't matter she said I'm so sorry the blame is all mine I accept the blame I'm sorry I want to make things right I want it to go back to how it used to be between us the other one said, forgive me too. Let's, let's move on. Let's move beyond it. And from that embrace between one mother and the other mother, there was a spirit of forgiveness that swept across that congregation. There was a sweet feeling of unity that was restored to that church and returned to that church and and, and God began moving and, and they began to shout. They began to rejoice in services like they used to. And they began to move on. And one day, the mother whose son was so paralyzed, she was mixing up dough for biscuits in the kitchen. And she was there and she was, she was thumping those 
that, that biscuit dough against that wooden dough pan. And she was just busy in the task. And the flour was billowing through the air. She was busy with that task of mixing dough and making biscuits. And she heard a noise behind her. And she turned and she saw her son that had been paralyzed. He said, hey, mom, it's me. I want to tell you there is healing in making up your mind to move beyond the wounds of the past. There's all kinds of benefits and all kinds of blessings when you make up your mind. Let's move on. I've got to move forward. I've got to forget those things that are in the past. And I've got to move toward what God has for me in the future. Ahab stopped. Ahab listened. And Ahab went home different because of a man and his wounds. What are you going to let your wounds do in your life? There's somebody that their lives could be better because you make up your mind. My wounds are not fatal, but my wounds preach a message that somebody needs to hear and that would change somebody's world and somebody's life. I'm preaching to somebody today, maybe a a whole host of somebody's today. You don't have an excuse to live in yesterday. Why don't you make up in your mind? I'm going to ask somebody. I'm going to ask somebody. Leave the past at the seat and take a step out and come down here and get what God's got for you. Leave it all, what they said, what they meant, what they intended, what really happened. Who believes it? Who doesn't believe it? Would you leave that at the seat? Just leave that and say, I'm never going to go back and pick it up. We'll leave it back here. I'm going to go pick up a new life at the altar. I'm going to go pick up a new future at the place God has for me.